Alrighty, so you're visiting your extended family, and one of your cousins is just finishing up his first biology class. Huh. So, being something of a scientist yourself, you decide to make conversation. So you walk up and you say, hey, what's up, Jimmy? Uh, what have you been learning in biology this year? Jimmy looks up from his phone in total and abject horror and then shrieks out that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell before retreating gratefully to the phone. Now, we all know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, right? Well, yeah, sure, if you are boring, but bacteria aren't boring. In fact, the bacteria we're talking about today has a different powerhouse. They are powered by rocks. All this and more on the next episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. Hey, what's up, squad? Happy Tuesday, and welcome to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I, as always, am your host, Dr. K. If, whilst you are here, you wouldn't mind hitting that follow button, or you could even make a note to share it with a friend while you're here as well. That would that would just be totally awesome. Um, now, we, we have explored some pretty crazy stories of bacteria uh, during our brief time here, um, but this one is extraordinarily ridiculous, is one of the more ridiculous, and one of the more ridiculous ones we've looked at, and it flies in the face of pretty much everything we've ever learned about biology. The mitochondria isn't the powerhouse of the cell, Dr. K. It's absolutely nothing sacred. Nope. So, a couple of reminders before we jump into the background for this paper. And the first one is you really shouldn't be surprised about the fact that the powerhouse of the bacterial cell isn't mitochondria. The reason being that bacteria generally don't have organelles, so it wouldn't make sense for a bacteria to have mitochondria and use them for energy. Many bacteria, in fact, use photosynthesis as their means of energy, though similar to the way that a plant uses photosynthesis. That's the first point. The second point is mitochondria are actually pretty good-sized when compared to bacteria. Um, it's actually widely held that the mitochondria, our own mitochondria, were once bacteria themselves, and then they got swallowed up by a eukaryotic cell, like our cells, and then it was only then that they decided to, you know, make themselves useful if it was going to be living inside another cell, and that's how we get the mitochondria. Uh, but today, today's episode isn't about mitochondria, or at least it's not directly about mitochondria. It's about a specific bacteria, a certain bacteria called Schuonella onedensis, and how this bacteria doesn't doesn't care about photosynthesis, or at least not as much as other bacteria, because instead of using photosynthesis, instead of using mitochondria, it can use rocks as a means of energy. It can use rocks as a means of energy. Now, if this doesn't make any sense to you, that is totally fine. We are going to go over it in detail. But in order to understand how it works, what we need to do is we need to have a rudimentary understanding of how mitochondria work and how they go about generating energy in the form of ATP, which, you may know, is the energy currency of the cell. Don't worry, guys. We are not going to throw out all of your high school biology, at least not just yet. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how mitochondria work, how they generate ATP. So uh, I guess where should we start? So how what you may have heard of in the past is something called the electron transport chain, which is this series of proteins that are embedded in mitochondrial membranes, and they use these proteins in order to synthesize ATP. Uh, if you haven't heard of electron transport chains, well, um, well, there are a series of proteins that are embedded in mitochondrial membranes that work together 
to generate ATP. But how do they work? So this actually goes back to uh, a concept that we talked about a few weeks ago, this concept of harnessing the movement of electrons between, between molecules as a way of generating energy. Okay, according to this idea, we can take an energetically favorable thing, like the movement of an electron from one atom to another atom, and then use that electronegative, energetically favorable movement as a way to power an unfavorable thing. Kind of like, and this is the common analogy, kind of like using the favorable flow of water along a river to power a water wheel that grinds grain or something, that does something unfavorable. Now, when the mitochondria makes ATP, all that the electron transport chain, the, the series of proteins that I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, all that the electron transport chain does is it uses that energetically favorable movement of electrons as a way of setting up another series of favorable reactions that ultimately does the unfavorable thing of making ATP. If that is confusing, let me um, let me draw an image for you. Okay, so let's... Let's take our image of the water wheel, right? So imagine water, water's flowing down the river, and it's used to turn this water wheel, right? That was our basic image for electrons moving from one atom to another in an energetically favorable way, okay? So water's flowing down the river, and it's used to turn the water wheel. Now let's say that what the water wheel is being used to do is to push a bunch of balls to the top of a hill. Okay, water's flowing down the river, it turns the water wheel, that pushes the balls up to the top of this hill. Once the balls reach the top of the hill, they'll roll down the hill, and once they reach the bottom of the hill, each individual ball will hit a lever that'll crank a gear by one turn. Okay, every single time that you crank that gear by one turn, you push two magnets closer and closer together. Okay, I'm going to go through this entire image one more time. Water flows down the river. It's used to turn a water wheel. That water wheel is used to push balls to the top of this hill. Where Once they reach the top of this hill, they'll roll down the bottom of the hill, and that movement of um, that energetically favorable movement of the ball rolling down the hill is used to crank a gear that pushes two magnets close together. Okay, that image, okay, for all intents and purposes, that's what the electron transport chain does. What it does is it uses the electron flow to establish what's known as a chemical gradient of hydrogens, in, which is, in our analogy, that series of balls. right? By flowing down their chemical gradient then, these hydrogens are used to power this small motor that puts these ATP molecules together. Okay, It's a really, really cool molecular machine. You can always give it a goog if you wish. Um, but it's present in every single mitochondria, and it's used to power each of our cells, right? So that's super, super cool. Now, to those of you that were paying attention, you may be saying right now, well, that is a very, very cool concept there, Dr. K, and as always, you describe the process with your typical combination of both charm and rigor, but you left out one very important bit. Where are those initial electrons coming from? Ah, now that is a very, very good question. And it gets into the biochemistry of metabolism in our case, okay, which we may, we may talk about another day. But it's a very, very key point. If there are no sources of electrons, right, if there's no river flowing in our analogy, then there's no way for the balls to be pushed to the top of the hill, and there's no way for us to turn that gear, and there's no way for us to generate ATP and we'll be out of energy, right? So it's really important 
that we have those sources of electrons, right? That we have that flowing river. For now, all you need to know about the mitochondrial side of things, right, is that we get these electrons from a series of molecules that we generate naturally through metabolism. But importantly, while that is the common way that we provide the electrons that we need for ATP synthesis, the way that we, um, the way that we put water in the river, so to speak, there's no rule that has to that that says that that has to be the only way that we get electron movement, right? If there was another way that we could kick off electron movement, if there was another way that we could put water in the river, if we continue with our analogy, it wouldn't matter. We would still be able to use that movement of electrons to synthesize ATP. Okay, so this is where it's a very long-winded explanation. I hope you hope you've understood this, but this is where it starts to get a little crazy and off the rails, and this is how it relates to bacteria. Like I said, there's no hard and fast rule that bacteria have to get the energetically favorable electron movements, right? Remember the, the initial movement of water from the same type of compounds that we do, right? There's also no hard and fast rule they need to get the favorable electron movement from within their own cells, even though that is would seem to be obviously the case for us, right? So what if bacteria don't need to pull electron movement from internal molecules, right? Again, let me frame this question one more way. We, in eukaryotic cells, for our mitochondria, we have internal um, internal compounds that we use to kick off that movement of, of that energetically favorable movement of electrons. Bacteria, there's no rule that they have to use internal molecules. And so this is where we get to this concept called extracellular electron transport also known as EET. I'll, I'll, I'll name it again. Extracellular electron transport. Unlike plants, animals, and a bunch of bacteria, there are some bacteria that just say, to hell with using internal molecules as a way of moving, doing an energetically favorable electron transport and thus ATP synthesis. Instead, what these guys do is the bacteria look to external sources of electrons as a way of starting off that favorable reaction that is used to make ATP. What these bacteria essentially do is they plug themselves into an energy source and then use that energy source to kick off electron movement, and then that electron movement is used for ATP th synthesis. I'm going to say that again. So the bacteria essentially, instead of using internal molecules as a source of electron movement, they plug themselves into external molecules and use that as a source of electron movement. This process... Um, I guess I'm sorry. Let me let me rephrase this. Okay, so so yes, so we can use external um, external sources for electron movement. The actual energy source will vary, but there is one bacteria of interest called Schuonella onidensis, and please forgive me, everyone who actually works with this organism, if I mispronounced. Um, anyway, there's this one bacteria called Schuonella onidensis that can use rocks, like actual rocks as the thing that kicks off the electron movement. And in doing so, it relies on rocks in order to synthesize ATP. This whole, this whole movement, which is very loosely described as breathing rocks, and I say that in quotes, uses the iron content in certain types of rocks as the initial source of electrons and is one of the first instances of extracellular electron transport that we have seen in nature. It's actually thought that you could use, as you learn more about EET and, and, the, and the organisms that do EET, um, you could actually use these organisms to clean up toxic waste, possibly even as a way of um, dealing with changes in environment. So um, let's put this all together, okay, from, from the top. So number one, ATP can be generated 
by the movement of electrons, by the energetically favorable movement of electrons, to power unfavorable movements. Okay, again, think like water turning the water wheel. Number two, these movements can be used to power other unfavorable things, like putting together ATP. Think like using the rolling balls to gradually turn a gear that pushes um, that pushes uh, magnets closer together. Okay, number three, this whole series of reactions depends on the initial source of electrons. Think like the source of water in a river. Okay. Number four, there are some bacteria that can use the iron content of external things like rocks as the source of electrons. And so finally, number five, this means that some bacteria are electrically plugged into rocks as the source of energy. How cool is that? So while the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, sometimes bacteria can subsist on the power of pure, solid, unadulterated rock. Oh, okay. Alrighty, team. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for hanging out today. Hope you have a beautiful day. Hope it is absolutely fantastic. And I hope you will join us next week for another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. But until then, I'm Dr. K. See ya. See ya.